Hi, and welcome to Com Church Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged, and uplifted by the talk you're about to hear. Do you know that you are in exactly the right place at exactly the right time? Yeah. Yeah, you may have got a flight to be here. You may have rolled out of bed and staggered up the road. But you're in the right place at the right time. We're going to... uh, look at, uh, continue on with our series, which is uh, called The Writings on the Wall. And uh, if you come in, if you're new to come and it's your first time, and look at these little things that are on the wall around us. They are the foundation stones, the, the building blocks of the church. They speak of the value. And um, there is two that are like the train tracks that Julian described in the past to me. And um, as a little personal testimony, back in February, I was asked to go along to the creative meeting, which is on a Wednesday, to prepare for a preach. Uh, We were engaged with one church, just having disengaged with another. And I sat in that meeting, and uh, Julian happened to mention the train tracks. He said, this is what the church is about, the train tracks. And I was like, what? I don't know what that is. And he explained to me, it's the great commission and the great compassion that everything that this church does falls on those tracks and they travel where those tracks take us. I say us because I think it was on that day, it was a Wednesday morning, by the Wednesday evening, we'd made the decision that this is the right place for us at this time. The Lord has brought us here. I get the privilege... Of, they gave me a little, they gave me like a, which one would you like to do? And I was like, I want this one. <laughs> I'm doing the Great Commission this morning. We're going to look at the Great Commission, what it is. Uh, I don't apologize, there's a little bit of teaching. So I hope you brought your brain with you and uh, your Bible. If you haven't bought a Bible, then these guys at the back are brilliant. They're going to be putting the scriptures as they come up uh, on the wall behind me. Great Commission is an interesting title to have because, as we were talking about in our comm group on Thursday, I have to say all copyright goes to this comm group because we were worried that, you know, the sermon was written as a group and therefore they need to have some some credit. So um, we were talking about how the words Great Commission don't appear in Scripture anywhere. And it's actually a new title, a newish title, There's a guy called Hudson Taylor, James Hudson Taylor. And a few years back, he was an awesome man of God that saw breakthrough into China. And uh, he was quoting somebody from about 50 years before. And he said this. Can you put it up for me? Oh, it's there. The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. Don't you just love his beard? That's an awesome beard, isn't it? Joshua, you've got a long way to go. Look at that beard. Yeah, he, he, he was the, one of the first guys to change the nature of missionary work that uh, he, he became 
kind of native to where he was. And he changed his look, he changed his culture, everything, because he wanted to reach out into China. In fact, at the end, towards the end of his ministry, he said this. He said, if I had a thousand pounds, okay, that's quite a lot of money in that time. If I had a thousand pounds, if I had a thousand lives to live, I would give them all for China. And then he said, nope, not China, for Christ, because who would give anything but everything to the one who's given us everything? So he kind of coined the phrase, uh, Great Commission, and it's come into our modern translations, and, and probably you'll find it uh, in your Bible uh, in uh, Matthew 28. But it's not the only place that the commission is. And I'm going to look at briefly at the beginning. We're going to skim through where the Great Commission is. Essentially, it's the final words of Jesus. And he's sort of saying, right, guys, get on with it. So let's just read from Matthew 28. And we'll start verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm going to study that in a moment, so keep a finger. If you've got a Bible, keep your finger in there. But we're going to look at what Mark said. So if you turn over a, a few chapters and are to the end of Mark, you realise Mark was a young lad himself. He was being discipled by the early uh, apostles. And uh, his experience is described in the book of Mark. is basically given to him by a guy called Peter, who was a bit of an eyewitness and had a very strong opinion. So when you read the Gospel of Mark, you're getting Peter's strong opinion on things. Anyway, so there's this little passage at the end of the book of Mark. And uh, some of you may have, if you've got a nice Bible and it, you know, it's got notes and things, it says this, some of the, this passage is not in the early manuscripts. And there's some discussion as to whether or not this was added by Mark, penned extra as he saw what was happening in the church doesn't matter. Everything described in this little passage I'm reading is already in, every, in other places within the Gospels. So let me just read to you what I would entitle the Pentecostal version of the Great Commission. Verse 15 of chapter 16, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and, and when they drink uh, deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. Very good if you're eating out for grace. Think about that particular part. Uh, just in case, um, I always pray uh, protection when, when Joshua cooks. Um, and it goes on, and, and they will place the hands on sick people. Always good to have a Christian with you when you're eating out, just in case. Uh, and they will get well. 
And after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven. He sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Not going to spend ages on this, just a second. If you were writing a little sermon about this, I've never done it, but I just thought that's a good sermon another time. You could uh, pick out that it was a Pentecostal version, which is about preaching, power, and proof. Uh, Always good P's. I like a good P in a sermon, don't you? Yeah, so uh, preaching, power, and proof. You know that if you're going to make disciples, if you're going to go to all the world, all the creation, you better go in power. And when you say something, you better be saying what God told you and he will back it up with something of signs. So uh, that's, that's Mark's version. Let's go into Luke. Have a little look at Luke. I did a disclaimer. John, he doesn't tell us anything. He, he's, he's got a different emphasis. But, so we're not going there today. But just quickly into Luke. He says it at the end of his first book, the book of Luke, and then he mentions it again at the start of his second book, the book of Acts. And uh, Luke 24 and verse uh, 45. Let's read that bit. So he said, um, Then, this is Jesus, he opened their minds so that they would understand the Scriptures. Why does it appear that when you're talking to somebody who's not a Christian yet, they're closed-minded? It's because the Holy Spirit hasn't opened their mind yet. Good place to start, ask the Holy Spirit to open their mind. So they understand the Scriptures. Then he told them, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer uh, uh, and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, to all nations, beginning at, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send uh, you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then in Acts, the follow-up to that, or the start of his next book, Uh, when he's talking about the works of the early church, the Holy Spirit, he says this in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. He says this. uh, There we are. Uh, On one occasion while they were eating with him, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, baptised with water, but in a few days you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So, uh, when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and places. Uh, But he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what you have there is a promised power to witness, but in ever-increasing circles. So there's a plan. You start where you are, you go to your friends, your family, your enemies, and then you go to the rest of the world. So this great commission, which we're looking at in Matthew, actually, when we study the other Gospels and we think about it, there's other elements that we can pick up. 
Well, we're going to focus in on this chapter in Matthew and uh, look at the fact you've got the, the greatest claim ever made by anybody. You've got this greatest commission and you've got the greatest comfort that anybody could have. The greatest claim, because he says that all power and authority. We read authority. The word is both power and authority. When we learn it later on, we realize that it's the dunamos of God, the dynamite of God we're talking about. Let me give you an example. Um, uh, perhaps a culturally insensitive version. So, Since we have Americans in the room. Um, a policeman stands in the middle of the road. He can stop a truck. He holds up his warrant card. He was wearing his uniform, his little billy hat, and holds up his hand, and a truck is stopped. That is authority. You give him an AK-47 or a water cannon, that is power. We carry both the authority delegated and the power. When Jesus says all power and authority, that's like, that means everything. So is there anything that has power in this world over you? Is there anybody who's got a greater authority than you? Jesus has more. He is the power. He is the authority. And it is a great claim because it sets out for us the therefore. It shows us we have a commission. If we don't understand the fact that Christ now has all authority and power, he has every claim on your life, whether you ignore it or not. You can choose to ignore it. Some of you are visitors. Some of you have no idea about Jesus Christ. You're just here because somebody dragged you along. This passage says that Jesus claims authority over your life, here on earth and in heaven. You can ignore that, or you can respond to it. This great commission, which we're going to look at, I just want to note something. I asked the question of prayer and the others, and they gave me the wrong answer. I said, is there another commission? If, if you say there's the great one, is there a not-so-great one? And they all went, no, 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 no. And actually there is, because if you go in Matthew back a chapter or two to chapter 10, we get the lesser commission. And I, I mention this because you need to understand it for the great commission. So in chapter 10 and verse 1, Jesus says to the self-same disciples plus Judas, because Judas has gone and hung himself by the time we get to the end of the book, but here he's, he's one of the twelve, and Jesus says, he called the 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority. And the word is authority, not authority and power. He gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and heal every disease and sickness. Can you say with me, every disease and sickness? Every disease and sickness. Okay. And then he calls his disciples, and we've got the names, and then skipping on ahead, he says this. Verse 5. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go. 
among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. These are the enemies. These are the neighbors, but they are not Israel. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons freely you have received, freely give. Do you see that? That the lesser commission was based pre the resurrection and Jesus has a very clear plan. Go to Israel, don't go to anyone else. In fact, when you start reading about some of the miracles and and Jesus' ministry, you realize that he, this is a man on earth who has power and authority. But it is always limited, it seems. So he tells them, when he heals the lepers, not to go and tell anybody other than the priests. When he goes into his hometown, there's not enough faith there for him to do more than a few miracles. When we get to the end of the book, after the resurrection, we discover something. Jesus now has all authority, all power. And it's been given to him permanently. And he, therefore, gives us this same authority and power to go, and he gives us this amazing, great commission. Let me just skip over and go to comfort. In the end of this, it says this. He says, I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is a statement. It's not a promise. God does not promise to be with you. He states it as fact. And he uses his name, the I am, to say to you, I am with you always to the very end. This is an amazing comfort. On your best day as a Christian, he is with you. On your worst day as a Christian, he is with you. When you get that statement in the, in the post from your bank and credit card, when you get that letter from the, from the hospital saying you've got another scan, when your dog jumps off a bridge, every day, every day, to the very ends of the age, God is with you. He's not either a passive, a passive passenger either. He is there, why? So that you might fulfill the, the, the meat in the sandwich. We've got, we've got the, the great claim and we've got the great comfort and the meat in the sandwich is this commission. So let's have a look at this. So we, the question that I want to ask is what are we making? What are we making? Here, Jesus tells them to therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Now, I've heard that preached, that it's all about go, go, get off your seats, go, and make disciples. But it's all about going. Actually, the language is very clearly there is only one command in this sentence. And the, sen- the, the command is make. It is make. 
It implies that whilst you are going, you will be doing this. So there is a sense of we are going to be in continuous movement. So it's no good just saying I'm going to sit on my bottom. But the emphasis to the church is making. God wants to know what is the church making. Because Jesus said, I will build my church. So he's not expecting the church to make itself. It's not supposed to big the church up, make a big noise. He wants to know what the finished product is for each church. And he has a clear, clear plan. It's plan A. And the plan is simple. Jesus spends three years investing his life into 12 and he gets 11. And those 11 are told now to duplicate himself to the world in every ethnic group. That's the interesting thing. The word is pate ethne, which means the whole or every ethnic group. An ethnic group is that which has a different culture, a different flag or a different uh, uh, language. So he says, I want every single ethnic group to have disciples coming from it. And I want you, church, to go and make them. You're going to make them. And you're going to make this quality product, which is called a disciple, because that's what Jesus wanted to do. He made 11 disciples, and within a process of what, 40 days, sorry, about two months, that was about 3,000 people. It exploded because he has one plan. And the plan is, here I am as an example of what God is on earth. I want you to follow my example and I want you to teach others to do exactly what you do. So that I will have an expression of every culture in heaven. You see, cultures are very important to God. When we are monoculture, if there were only one language in the world, do you know what would happen? We would conspire against God and make our own tower and reach to the heavens and say, we are God. And very early on, God decided that what he needed was cultures across the whole earth with its own languages, with its own peoples, with its own beauty. And in heaven, there would be Someone from every single multicolored hue to say, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. And together we would sing one song, but in a cultures that would just represent the love of God. Because he says, Only together do we know how high and wide and deep is the love of God. When I realized that God loves Texans, when I realized that God loves the Irish, when I realised that God loves the whole diversity of this earth, then I realised how great his love is and how wide and deep is that love. Because his heart as father has always been to see the whole world saved. So this great commission is to make disciples and in going make. I want to look at for a couple of minutes the who, what, why. So we'll start with um, this, this thing. What is a disciple? What is a disciple? 
A disciple is a learner or a follower who continuously learns uh, from the master, from the rabbi in this case. The rabbis used to have a blessing and they would say to another rabbi's disciples and they would say, may the dust of your rabbi cover you. And it was saying, basically, may you walk so closely behind your rabbi that the the muck he kicks up off the road, the red dusts and stuff of Israel would just cover you. And then I would say, ah, that is a disciple. A disciple is the one, it's like monkey see, monkey do. A monkey, disciple sees, disciple does. So that's the reason why Peter expects to be able to walk on water. There he sees his master walking on water and he says, call to me and I will come out to you. And bless him, he manages it a bit. Joshua tried that when he was much, much younger. He had his doodles on and there was a garden pond and he just decided he was going to walk on it. And I think he made like one step and then fell flat, splat into the lily pads. But well done for trying. A disciple will duplicate the teaching, the character, the nature of his master, the message of the master. If you remember my little hoop, um, my little circle, I call this circle of change and I've been having fun visiting very small Methodist churches around about and I decided this was the best message um, because this is Jesus's message at the beginning of Mark he says the time has come wow the time has come repent and believe the time has come the kingdom of heaven is right near repent and believe and as I told you way back, kairos is that moment. It's, it's the word that means a moment in time, like that letter you get through the post, like that I'm driving along in my automobile. Ha, I'm a great driver until I'm going through uh, certain parts of town and then suddenly somebody walks out in the middle of the street because they think they can. And you throw on the brakes and you realise within seconds you could have killed someone. That's a kairos moment. When you can't run for the bus anymore. That's a Kairos moment. And Jesus said that our lives are filled with those moments because every moment the kingdom of heaven is right here, right now. But to enter the kingdom, we have to repent, which means to change our thinking, to change our minds. Repentance is not crying tears and making promises. Repentance is actually observing what's going on and deciding to act in a different manner. And that requires accountability. So repentance is not just you in your room. Repentance requires that you discuss outwardly what is actually going on in the changing of your thinking. And that requires someone to come alongside you that you would allow them to. But repentance is not enough because then we have to act We have to come through the circle and we need to act on what we now believe is different. And again, we are held accountable for that action after we've planned it out. But the thing is, when you repent and believe, you enter the kingdom of God. It happens once, 
But every time we change our lives to be more like Christ, so the kingdom of God comes. And that's Jesus' message. And that's what's being a disciple. Because we don't stop being learners. We never take off our learner plates and throw them away. Not until we're in that crowd in heaven saying, worthy is the Lamb. So we're in the business of making disciples. And a disciple is a continuous learner who is devoted to Jesus Christ. How do we do it? He says simply, baptize and teach. I think we've often taken those and oversimplified. So we've said the only way that the kingdom is built is by baptizing lots and lots of people, making lots and lots of converts, and then just teaching them continuously from the front because that's our method. That's not what Jesus did. He did speak to the crowds. He baptized nobody personally, which is interesting, but he spent his life with a small amount, allowing them to see what the kingdom was like. We baptize, and we do in this church. Com Church baptizes, but it's only the start of a public declaration of change. There is a process of change that goes on in every single one of us. I've learned something this morning. We are learners of Jesus. And so that is a continuous process that doesn't simply happen from here, but happens out there as well. And what do we teach? We teach everything that he told us to do, and we obey. We teach obedience. Now, Many religions have got what's known as the golden rule. And they point to the Christian faith and they say, well, there's the golden rule there, which is basically do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, Or a sense of love. So we say, well, it says Jesus was asked, what is the greatest command? And he gave them the greatest command. He said, well, it's to love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love others as you love yourself. But later he taught his disciples there was a greater way. And it's not to love others as you love yourself, it's to love others as I have loved you. When I love like I love myself, I'm fairly selfish about it. When I consider how Jesus loved me, that is a higher calling and that requires greater growth. But it's not just about love, it's not just about obedience in that. He says, forgive. Forgiveness is huge in the church and out. Trust. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, it says, do not worry. But you're not getting married in a few weeks. Do not worry. Be anxious about nothing. That's faith, isn't it? And what's the reverse of faith? if we're always anxious about everything. So teaching all of these things to trust, to to love, to give, to forgive, and indeed to go, and to suffer even, to lay one's life down, because that was Christ's example to us. That's a huge amount to teach, and we're probably not going to cover it in a 45-minute, 40-minute sermon. 
once we realize how, uh, we've got to ask the question. Our next one. Let's make sure we catch up. Yeah, how are we going to make learners of Jesus? Yeah, who is going to do the making? The disciples were the ones commissioned. But do you know something? They did not drop the ball, which means a generation later and a generation later and a generation later and a generation later, there was a witness on this earth and the church has continued to grow from 11 to 500 to 3,000 to nearly 2 billion. 2 billion. That's a B, not a M. 2 billion. And many, many tribes and many, many uh, cultures and many, many ethnic groups have been touched because every generation has been charged with being a witness to make more disciples. And maybe in Europe, some of the European churches have dropped the ball. But I know that in South America, in most of Africa, in China, in uh, Pakistan even, they have not dropped the ball. And they continue to make disciples this church, Com Church, is a church that's made a decision not to drop the ball, that we will leave a legacy of those that are fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, and they will, they will actually represent nations. I find it unusual here that as a church, this church is made up of so many different groups, cultural groups, different kinds of people. It's almost like my job at Coffee Republic, actually. Have we got any Romanians here? <laughs> Oh, good. I've got a Romanian I'd like to join. Uh, do, we have any, uh, do we have any Polish people here? Hey, can you come into Coffee Republic and meet my Polish friends? I work, like, I think very unkindly, uh, one of my sons talked about Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs because of my grey and the fact that they're all shorter than me. But these young ladies, um, Chad, who was working there with me, is here today. Uh, he shared his harem with me, but then he's just left me with these seven delightful ladies. Only one of them is an English person, um, and, and the other one's a Romanian, the rest Polish. So, you know, there is the nations. But it's not just nations, because there are people that are English that come into my... Some of them are part of mental health issues. Some of them have got problems with their, their physical bodies. Some of them are old. Some of them are young. Some of them are very small children. Some are bouncing on chairs and are being invited to come to the soft play to have a hug, part of the community. And this church welcomes and goes and is committed to the commission of making disciples. Why are we doing it? We're doing it because Jesus commanded it. And if we are disciples, we'll be obedient. Who is going to do the making? Well, it ain't going to be those 11 disciples, those apostles. It's not, bless him, going to be Doug. It's not going to be Julian, Sarah. It's not going to be me alone. We are all called. It's not the church's statement on the wall. Because when you say it's the church's statement, somebody somewhere is going to do it. It's like the church's job is to put the chairs away at the end of the service. And it ain't going to be you, is it? 
There's a welcome team and they are named and commissioned and they do that work. The commission to us all is to make disciples. Andrew and I are really keen at the moment to see men taking a stand, specifically. Ladies, you do it anyway, but men, you need to take a stand to disciple someone. I was one year old as a Christian, 20 years, 21 years old, and I was discipling sheep in Derbyshire at a youth hostel called Dovedale House. I used to sign off my letters, missionary to Ireland's sheep, Ireland sheep, because there were like 25 people in the, in, the, in the village and about 50 million sheep. So I was cleaning toilets and looking after youth groups. I was commissioned to go. Wind that on. Methodist church, youth leaders, youngsters, a group called the Icebreakers who hadn't got a clue about church and they were a pain in the evening service. So they said, you, you just have them in your house. You're newly married. Fliss won't mind if they eat all the biscuits. I was called to schools, to a little flock in Horsham, to a tiny flock in Toddington. And now, to a group of Polish, Romanian ladies in Comshop. Sorry, did I say Comshop? Coffee Republic. And I suddenly discover, in a few weeks' time, this church is going to take its compassion and match it with its commission and do something here, but is also going to use the community. This is what we're about. But don't assume it's the leadership team. It's you. I ask you this final question. Can you, who's going to do the making? Is there another one after that? Uh, yeah. Where and when will you need to go? 2000, I crossed the ocean for the first time and I went to Uganda and Kenya and I've been lots of times since. It's harder to cross the coffee shop than it is to cross the ocean. You may not have to leave your current group. You might be representing someone in some situations. You might be crossing a schoolyard. You might be crossing uh, a canteen at work. You may be crossing a businessman's lunch. You might be crossing the street. You might be going from Tesco's and start going to Aldi. Or you might be going from Costa's and start going to Coffee Public, which is much nicer coffee. But you might be taking steps, but I want to know where are you going to go? Because if you are a Christian, you're a disciple. If you're a disciple, the Great Commission is for you. So where are you going to go? And when? When? Do it sooner. Just do it sooner and keep, keep doing it. Share your life with someone. If you're a young Christian, it doesn't matter. You've learned how to make baby steps. Share that with someone else. You're an old Christian? Wow. You've got experience to share that will change a nation. This church is based on two tram lines and we're a part of it. We're going somewhere, but you need to play your part. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Com Church Talks. We'd love to hear from you, and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to get in touch, visit our website at www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless.